It's a cold, dark night in Oak Towers, in the upper North Edge district of Sharn. It's just rained, so most of the surfaces are still slick and wet. There are people about, but in a wealthy district like this, who's really paying attention to what's going on far above their heads? A half-orc with grayish-brown skin pulls like the collar of his trench coat a little bit higher against the wind, braces himself against the, uh, the eaves of this roof, and swings down and through a window, kind of kicking it with his feet, rolling onto the plush carpet almost silently, and turning around to catch the swinging window frame, gently close it again. So stealthy is he that he doesn't even drip water onto the fine carpet. And as he looks around, you can see he's definitely in the right place. Fine artworks are on the walls. The mantle is decorated with small artifacts from across Corvair and even some that he surmises may have come from the jungle continent of Zendrik. Far, far away. And costs a pretty penny, certainly. But this is not what he's after. In the center of the room is a plinth with a unique item, a rod that is uh, ornately engraved. Uh, it has runes and draconic on it, and it forms the uh, the the, the headpiece of the rod forms a uh, a dragon with a with a knowing look in its eyes, sort of um, if a dragon could smirk. You would say this is a smirking dragon. If one were knowledgeable in dragons, and he is, one would notice that this rod is made of brass. And of course, the dragon's face is that of a brass dragon. Is this important? Who can say? Of course it's important. As the, uh, as the half-orc steps up to the plinth, he carefully sort of feels around the... Uh, like under the the lip of the of this plinth and gently triggers a latch releases a a a plate a pressure plate that he knows this this item rests upon and as he does so it sinks just barely a centimeter into the surface of the plinth uh in a, in a seam that wasn't even visible from the top and with a similar smirk the half-orc takes the rod. It's obvious that he has inside information about the defenses of this particular villa. But he doesn't have all the information about the inside, <laughs> about those defenses. <laughs> because just then, a siren begins to wail. As he glances around, just uh, a brief look of panic in his eyes, he sees that there was uh, a second trigger, one far more subtle, uh, this one magical in nature, and he sighs inwardly to himself and then turns towards the door. But from that direction, he can now hear thundering boots on the wooden floor and, and shouts of people to be roused to find the intruder. They're about as loud as he was quiet coming in. That way is not the way to go. He casts about the room, optimistic that uh, there'll be another entrance, but deep down he knows there isn't one. And he moves to a window, takes a look at the street below, takes a look back at the door, takes two steps, and then runs as full speed as he can <laughs> into this window and smashes out into the cold, damp night air outside. This, of course, is Sharn, the city of Towers. The street is 600 feet below, and he plummets like a rock. In a nearby alley, there are two figures, one six and a half feet tall, the other less than half that height, dressed quite finely and warmly uh, in the cold air, 
The tall one leans nonchalantly uh, against the side of a building, while the small one paces nervously back and forth, looking up at its tall companion, and then over at the very same tower that the half-orc has just dived out of. And as it gazes, it hears a loud smash, and a small but growing figure (laughs) hurtling to the ground. Tumbling through the air, the half-orc takes a moment to orient himself, knowing that this might hurt. And as he turns to face back uh, towards the window he he just leapt out of, he sees the gawping face of one of the house guards, clearly content to see him fall to his demise. And as he kind of rolls himself back over to face the ground, he utters a small word under his breath, and his feet settle before him, his coat billows underneath the onrushing wave of air, and he descends the last 20 feet elegantly, uh, guiding himself towards that very same alley, landing just as gently as, uh, as a feather lands on a, on a casual breeze. The quick look back high up to the, the window, he goes a uh, little salute and that same smirk and dashes off into the alley where the other two wait. The tall one says, Your filthy common magic is getting better. The small one says, Yes, yes, very good. Not as good as Meepo's, but very good. The half-orc. Does this guy's self affect your voice? I... I think it's just visual. The half-orc, in a voice an octave or two too high for his size, (laughs) says, Look, I got it done, okay? Look, that's all we can hope for. And emerging from the other side of this alley onto, or into the the foot traffic of of another lively night in Sharn, are Tez Proudgale in his finest cloak uh, against the, uh, the evening's cold, and Meepo and Skelebro. I like you better as a half-orc. The tall, emaciated elf says. But before they can get into it, as usual, Tez feels something that he hasn't felt in several months. A cold, golden medallion that he always keeps in a pocket nearby begins to gently vibrate before becoming more insistent. And when he pulls it out of his pocket, he can see it is engraved with the letters (sighs) R-D-E-T. Voice, we're getting a page. High-pitched voice emanates from the medallion once... They're alone. Hey, uh, I don't think I ever said congratulations on graduating. Here's your gift, your first mission. Yeah, thanks, Erky. It would have been helpful to have, you know, uh, a priest of your stature uh, there to speak as a witness at my uh, at my defense. But uh, but sure, yeah, no, we got through it. No thanks to you. Don't you know by now? I'm always there with you. Uh, you know, in spirit. Although I was actually there that time. Can't believe you don't remember. Yes. I was very, I was integral. Look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You've got a job. I think you're going to like it. You are our, well, let's just say resident dragon expert. Or maybe your friends are. Whatever. Doesn't matter. You're headed to Thrain. And we'll find out why Tess is headed to Thrain in just a minute. Live from the Mundangerous Tower Heist in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 301 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. This is Actual Play Season 2, Episode 1. In this episode, we're playing through a deep and creeping darkness from the 5e adventure collection Candlekeep Mysteries. Tez Proudgale has his first real mission from the Trust. 
he's also out for some treasure. Oh, boy, is he ever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, so if you haven't listened to our first actual play, uh, that's not what we do here. We are an RPG discussion podcast, but um, last year both of us had kids, and so we needed a little extra time to ourselves, so we did an actual play. Um, People seem to like it, so here we are again. This is going to be a short one four-ish weeks. Um, But the way that we do it is uh, we're doing a solo adventure uh, like before. We're going to talk about our choices more than you normally would in an actual play. This is less a performance and more like a demonstration of gameplay. And then we'll have a fifth episode that's a debrief on the choices that we made for this game, why we made them, and then things we might do differently. So for this one, uh, oh, for the first series, uh, you can find those in the feed. Those are marked uh, with a separate numbering for the AP. For this one, uh, it's just, it'll be episodes 301 through what, probably 305, um, 304. I don't know how many weeks are in January. Uh, so you can catch up on that. That one, we ran through Sunless Citadel. This one, we're doing Candlekeep Mysteries. Ishin, Candlekeep Mysteries is another book of, uh, of a collection of adventures. Uh, why this one? Great question. Okay, so these days, it's actually really difficult to build a consistent narrative with like a through line using disparate short adventures from official 5e products. Um, You could do something like, you know, Princes of the Apocalypse, Storm King's Thunder or whatever that take you from like level one up to like level 15. But that's not what we started with, right? And we already sort of established, you know, a character and a, and a place. You know, he's in Eberron. And uh, there aren't published Eberron adventures. Um, so I started looking around for published adventures that uh, work for a fourth-level character. And a lot of them just, just don't fit our existing narrative at all. Um, I did, however, stumble upon Candlekeep Mysteries, which is a relatively new book uh, that is a collection of, I think, 17 unconnected uh, mystery adventures with, like, you know, investigations and, you know, solutions uh, and things like that, that I think will fit the bill in in several places. So we are going to play uh, the one for... Um, fourth level characters although it's going to be a little bit changed because you are solo with some sidekicks uh-huh <laughs> uh yeah i wow i didn't know it was 17 adventures that's uh that's pretty big but um the whole book just adventures based on a book theme i'll i'll let everyone here know that like we're i'm i'm using a deep and creeping darkness as like heavy inspiration for this but a lot of things are getting changed. So it's written by Sarah Madsen and it's developed and edited by Michelle Carter. Uh, I think it's actually a, a pretty good adventure. Um, you can do it pretty quickly. One thing I'll say about Candlekeep Mysteries, though, is uh, it's a really dark book. <laughs> I mean, like, this one is called A Deep and Creeping Darkness, but, like, it's kind of like murder mysteries. So, like, you've you've got to be, uh, like, on board with kind of like serial killers and and occult murders and things like that like each of the and like madness and and things like that those are like prominent themes in this book so speaking of which let's go ahead and do like a very like a mini session zero and also talk about updating our lines and veils Uh, we did a much more in-depth one for the last actual play but since we're using new material since some of the content is changing and you know just because like we are sitting down at the table again to start a new arc, it's a great time to revisit that. Cool. What do you need from me? All right. So previously, you know, we sort of established both between us, but then also for the actual play that we want to do, you know, things that we're going to avoid that like we we don't want to see in a game or that we don't want to see in this particular game. And, and those are things that are pretty like consistent for, for the two of us in general, right? Like we're not going to touch on, you know, like sexual abuse of any kind. We're like... We avoid like violence against children, torture, things like that, you know? Agreed. We check in with each other on like body horror and and those sorts of things. But I think for the most part, we're, you know, we're, we're fine with like death and grittiness. Um, you know, it's a relatively medieval setting. 
I think all that's fine. I mean, I think the other thing we're uh we're, we're pretty hard out on is like any type of like slavery or mm-hmm. bondage of of sapient uh creatures. Yeah, and that's something to consider also cuz like this is Eberron where that is canon. So like those those are just not themes that we're interested in exploring. If they come up, let's liberate them. How's yeah, that? <laughs> that? I mean, <laughs> that's essentially it. Oh, we're playing characters who are good people. Well then, I don't care what your plot was. We're liberating the enslaved people like that obviously (laughs) we're not entirely like i wouldn't say that tez is entirely good i just think he's got a line right (laughs) and that line is roughly where mine is which is (laughs) slavery bad so i'm going to check in with you here on updating our lines and veils though because like i said this is a much darker book than like actually a lot of wizards of the coast fair is really dark i think in dragon heist there's like a a family that sold their children's souls to Asmodeus and like one kid immediately got turned into a chain devil. Like it's really dark stuff. In a deep and creeping darkness, there is essentially like no spoilers because I'm totally changing the ending. Um, so, you know, Shane, you haven't played this, but like it doesn't matter. And if if you have played this, you're, you'll still be interested in hearing the end of this actual play. Um, but like there's, there's a village that basically all got tortured to death, uh, both mentally and physically. Uh, and one would assume that a village includes children. So, you know, it doesn't happen on screen, but there is there's the implication, but also the aftermath. Oh, okay. Fun, 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 fun. Right. So what I would like to, uh, I don't, I don't want to include any torture. I'm not going to, uh, but I want to know if you are okay with like the aftermath of violence against children. Not like, uh, not like child abuse, but like, you know, basically like caught in the crossfire of war, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is, uh, these are, these, the, the victims are already passed, right? Like, this isn't dealing with, with survivors, or is this, uh... Yeah, there will be some survivors and, and some dead. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, I, I can always, uh, you know, draw a line or a veil if, uh, if it goes too far. But yeah. Right, and we, uh, and we always cool. have the X card. Yeah, we can, we can go from there. That's fine. Cool. All right, with that updated, and also, you know, for your listeners, know that, that, that that is the ad- adaptation of this. It is a lightning of the mood of this adventure. <laughs> oh, that's a lightning, you say? Yes. Mm. Okay, great. <laughs> in terms of how we do actual plays, and I promise we'll dive in very shortly, um, we tend to explain more than you normally would, just so you know our thought process processes. And and it's sort of like a part of this is us musing about game design and and gameplay. Yeah, and then we always do a recap episode uh, that we can kind of uh, answer some questions that come up along the way, as well as um, kind of give some of our thoughts, recap sort of some of the decisions that we we made and uh, you know things that we found interesting. Speaking of which, so we're going to skip over the, the nitty gritty, but we are using the downtime rules from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Tez got a fair amount of loot in the, the last adventure. Uh, so we did some rolls. You sold it off for a pretty penny, I might add, uh, at least 4,000 gold pieces. Yeah. I I mean, the stuff that I've already liquidated got me so much gold that I'm wondering if I donate any of it to a museum now, (laughs) because like (laughs) I sold stuff that was quote unquote worth 150 gold for like 400, like that's most of a magic item. It's because it's all based on persuasion rolls and you have expertise in persuasion right you know like not even intentionally to like sell stuff but like you know that's xanathar's and item acquisition rules are never balanced in any game right so uh <laughs> so i did some shopping spree one uh, tez has actually leveled up so tez is now level four he took a level of artificer um and alongside that he uh picked up a headband of intellect uh, which gives him 19 intelligence. He took uh, Serpent Scale Mail, which gives him an AC of 14 plus dex, but no disadvantage on stealth. That's medium armor. Um, he got Boots of Elvenkind, which give him advantage on stealth when uh, he needs to move silently. Uh, helpful when you smash through a window, for example. Mm. <laughs> uh, and then he took a uh, the, the best uncommon uh, magic item uh, or magic weapon he could find, Rapier plus one. Clean. Neat lines. Yeah, exactly. Simple math. Nothing to remember. <laughs> um, Meepo uh, took bracers of archery to help with his head knocker and nice. also took a dagger of warning, uh, which has the uh, added benefit. Of, like it gives him advantage on 
is initiative rolls, but it has the added benefit of no one in the party can be surprised and we wake up if we get ambushed. <laughs> nice. So that's a good party buff for Tez sitting in Meepo. <laughs> uh, and then Skelebro uh, has Mithril full plate. <laughs> so he can move silently despite wearing full plate armor. That felt appropriate for a, uh, for a former elf. Uh, yeah, who's now some sort of revenant creature uh, and has, you know, is most comfortable 1800 years ago and not in weirdly modern society. Uh, also, that was by far the most expensive item that I bought. Uh, that's how much I that's how much I love Skelebro. OK, is I spent <laughs> 750 gold for his armor and then another 600 gold on top of it to make it mithril. You also destroyed your nightcaller in, in order to create him in the first place which is something we'll eventually get into yes uh i did that was uh tez's experimentations uh <laughs> and uh you know uh hearts of artifice right yes i'm a first level artificer let's see what we can do exactly <laughs> i'm a first level art artificer with a book in draconic about dragons <laughs> and the troll musings on life and on death okay <laughs> Uh, so speaking of which, why don't you just take a little bit of time to tell us about like who Tez is. Tez Proudgill is a half-elf uh, scion of the uh, Lazar Proudgills, who are the, uh, uh, I, I, not royal family, but I guess uh, ruling family of one of the Lazar principalities. Of which there are thousands. He is officially a rogue archaeologist. Uh, because he recently completed his post post uh, post grad work at Morgrave University, uh, defended his thesis on uh, on the history of dragons in Corvair, and uh, was was awarded his uh, his his degree. So he is a uh, by trade a rogue archaeologist. Uh, along the way, he maybe got hoodwinked. <laughs> by a little gnome bastard <laughs> who goes by the name Erky Timbers uh, who uh, press ganged him into becoming an asset or an agent of the trust uh, which is the spy organization out of the uh, out of the gnome nation of Zolarga. yes he was uh, literally so, impressed yes uh, <laughs> yes quite quite literally uh so you know tez is uh you know in breland still he's been kicking around at morgrave uh he's still living on campus he uh as a rogue archaeologist it turns out when you're in a city um you don't have a lot of extra and, and especially when you went shopping spree with all of your last uh, <laughs> your last proceeds you don't have a lot of extra coin to spare for for room and board and so he is still taking advantage of the uh recent alumni program <laughs> though he has sprung for a double room. Uh, he's no longer living in a single dorm room. So there's that. Interestingly, though, Scalabro and Meepo are not living with him. They live in a pretty swanky apartment, actually. Uh-huh. Tez has his suspicions, but he's pretty sure Scalabro knew of some sort of gem cache that was hidden several thousand years ago, went and unearthed it, and has not been has been sharing with Meepo, but not Tez. <laughs> That's, I mean, fair. I did, I did bring him back into this hellish feature scape uh, mm -hmm. when, when he was otherwise perfectly content to be a skeleton guardian uh, under under the control of my nightcaller. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I did a good thing, and I'm being punished for it. Okay, Skelebro. As always, as always. All right, so that brings us up to date, and in fact, the party, Tez Proudgale, Skelebro, and Meepo are ensconced in a pretty nice carriage, actually, along an Orion trade route, heading into the far, far north of Thrain, up near the mountains by the Ondarian border, now, after taking probably about a three-day trip on the lightning route. And the three of them are talking over the information that they gleaned from the dossier that arrived at Hez's dorm before he left, uh, and the information that Urky Timber shared with them uh, before sending them on what they hope is not a wild goose chase. First of all, what is my mission? Why am I going to Thrain? <laughs> ah. <laughs> okay. Here's here's what's been happening. Erky tells you. It seems that for the past few months, villagers in northern Thrain have been attacked by some sort of unknown creature. 
Why does anyone care? Nobody does. Except that it's continued to happen over and over again. Mm, a shepherd, alone, with a flock. Mm, someone heading out to the well late at night. Um, so far, it seems several dozen people have been killed, and about a dozen more uh, have survived uh, with rather gruesome injuries, often to the head and neck region. Jayla Darren, if you've heard of her, Keeper of the Flame, has finally decided to do something about this, and so she has presented a bounty of 5,000 crowns to anyone who can kill or capture whatever beast this is. That's nice. Here's what we want you to do. Find out if it's a dragon. <sighs> Great. If it's a dragon, don't do anything else. Tell us and leave. If it's not a dragon, we don't care. Uh, okay, but if it is a dragon, then I can't collect the bounty, Erky. And if I can't collect the bounty, how can I afford the trip? Mm, well doesn't seem like our problem. We'll get you there. I, I suppose we'll get you back, assuming you survive. Yeah, I don't like our arrangement. I want to renegotiate my contract. We don't have a contract. That's part of the problem, Erky. Yeah, hard to renegotiate. Anyway, have fun. <sighs> All right, so... Uh, I think uh, Tez is now flipping through several clippings from uh, various newspapers um, that might have been uh, reporting on these types of incidents, uh, as well as any type of like um, geographical surveys. Uh, he is a uh, he's an academic, at least in part. Uh, mm -hmm. So he's looking also for anthropological surveys, cultural surveys of the area, those types of things. You know, history of the area, all that sort. So when you look through the newspaper clippings, the thing that's most glaring is the lack of information. In fact, none of these attacks have been reported on. And, you know, you can see why. It's like a pretty rural area. It's not heavily populated. People are always still a little annoyed by the Thrains in general. People getting attacked by wild animals in the woods is not an uncommon occurrence. Actually, wolf attacks have been down recently because since the war, uh, they usually just dig up old battlefields. It's not the strangest thing that, you know, a person walking alone or tending sheep alone would get attacked or even killed by a wolf or a pack of wolves. The fact that it's been several dozen in the past few months and the fact that the Keeper of the Flame herself is uh, now involved signals that the Thrains think something bigger is going on. Interesting. In terms of the, the terrain, so you're actually headed to a small village called Vermilion. Like I said, in the far north of Thrain, uh, up near the mountains, the area saw pretty heavy fighting because it's near the Ondarian border, but not real, there's nothing important there. It's just the troops were back and forth as the, um, as the front kept moving. So there are battlefields, uh, but for the most part, it's like rather quiet folk farming and uh, sheep herding are the main sources of income. Uh, was this town uh, Thrainish uh, before the last war? Yes. Okay, so this is a like a, a culturally Thrainish town that is now still owned by Thrain. Exactly, and like if you if you wanted to check before you left, if you look through old records of the war, it was never officially like captured by Ondare. Sometimes it was occupied by, by Ondarian troops or whatever, but like the actual borders uh, never shifted this far. So it's always been Thranish. Is this one of those cases like the Civil War where the Civil War where like one side named them by the bodies of water and the other side named the battles by the <laughs> town? And so it's like the Battle of Vermilion or the Battle of Crystal Creek. Absolutely no famous battles big battles, important battles, strategic battles in the area. I mean, over a hundred years, people died literally everywhere in Corvair. So people died here, but never for any real purpose. Never any actual pitched battle where like both sides lined up and fought over the ground. It was always just sort of collateral. Exactly. And this area is not even a footnote in history. Got it. Okay. 
Uh, oh, there are some very, very vague records of some of the attacks. Um, like Erky said, it's usually gruesome injuries that kill people or maim people, usually in the area of the head or neck. Um, it, it looks like claw marks, or like a, a big swipe with a claw, in at least mm, a half dozen occasions, burns. Hmm. Which is probably the thing that attracted the trust's attention. Indeed. Uh... Uh, any anything in the records that would denote what type of burn, be it fire, acid, frost? It doesn't denote, which makes you think it's fire. Okay. Because the others would probably be noted. Okay. Uh, and, and is there any pattern uh, with the victims? Like any any obvious pattern about who they were? Obviously, it sounds like they, they were mostly... Um, targeted when they were alone, is that right? Alone or sometimes in pairs um, or vulnerable in some way. And you don't notice any pattern. So, Well, you notice only one pattern. And it it's why it took so long for this to sort of come to the attention of the higher-ups. The attacks all seem to happen across a, like a pretty wide area. And if you look at this, probably too wide for a creature like a wolf or a wolf pack. They wouldn't range that far. Got it. But in recent weeks, the attacks have been increasing in frequency and they become more and more concentrated around this one particular town. And is there any information around like the current state of the town, right? Like si like population, size, leadership, anything about how it's organized? Very little. Um, you can probably find out when you get there, but the... Um, at its largest, it was only ever a few hundred people. Um, there's a mayor. Uh, but you're also pretty sure that with a bounty of 5,000 crowns, bounty hunters are going to be showing up. Right. That was my next question, is who is my competition? And the answer had better not be Professor Kemble. <laughs> you do not I know will, yet. I will run him through. <laughs> you do not know yet. Uh, you're sure there will be others. Like, the only actual news coverage of this is the bounty. Got it. Okay. Um, and then just general question uh, for traveling in Thrain. Uh, something, of course, that Tez knows but needs to clarify for Meepo and Scalabro. Uh, obviously, the Church of the Silver Flame, very powerful in terms of, like, practical and political influence. Um any customs or traditions or anything like that that would be like necessary to observe as outsiders um anything like that that we need to be careful of especially given that we have a a, a kobold and a revenant elf yeah the revenant elf might be an issue probably best not to let anyone find out that he's actually undead thrain is probably like the least cosmopolitan of the five nations but that doesn't mean it's not cosmopolitan uh it's about 70 percent humans but every village is going to have a substantial population of gnomes or dwarves or or halflings and and as you know like kobolds are actually pretty common in corvair you often working in farming so okay they're probably not like this won't be the first time people have seen a kobold they will probably okay. be confused by scalabro um you want to avoid avoid looking like a fiend looking like undead um, or openly being a follower of the blood of vault. Mm, okay. Uh, <laughs> so reminder for Shane, was Skelebro a follower of the blood of vault? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Uh, he was a member of the cult of a Shardalon. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, a cult of a Shardalon was not tied to Vol at all. Uh, no, it's just a, a red, a fiendish red dragon that replaced his own heart with a Baylor. Yeah. yeah, 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 classic. Yeah. But then abandoned them. So, well, you know, as you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got okay. tired, and moved on. All right. Uh, and in terms of like the the political structure of the town, right? You said pretty pretty standard, like Corvarian kind of like has a mayor, um, not like a ruling council or, or anything. Probably not a, a in a village this size. Yeah, okay. it, it, and probably like. Rule is, is by consensus, mostly. 
or seniority, you know, age, really. Okay, all right. Or or like just the kind of like passed down with one family sort of thing. If you retired there and you were a, a great blacksmith, right, that earns you renown and people tend to listen to you, things like that. Sure. Right, it, it. but it's going to be very informal for the most part. And then uh, what can we expect in terms of hospitality? Because the bounty has been put out, yeah, you don't know exactly what the situation in the village is going to be, but you know there has been an official bounty by the keeper. So if you arrive as bounty hunters, you're pretty sure you'll you won't be turned away. Okay. Uh, after about five days on the road, the carriage stops. Meepo yawns, snaps his jaws open and close to help wake himself up and then pulls back the curtain on the carriage, peers out the window, and here in early autumn, it is unseasonably cold and unseasonably foggy. It feels very wet, but it's hard to see more than 50 feet away. A quaint, what must have been formerly perhaps even adorable little village uh, made of small wooden structures. Um, but now that has definitely changed as large areas that were, you know, common space for gatherings have now been basically swept clean and are covered in uh, hard-packed dirt. And uh, you can see uh, about a dozen well-practiced fighters pointing longbows at targets in the distance uh, while nearby a cantor sings a hymn and uh, as each refrain ends a volley is unleashed and most of those arrows strike true are these like thranish regulars like this is like or are these do, do these look like mercenaries or like militia or are they actually like a standing army you have history, right? You're trained. Uh, I, I do. Yeah. So um, you can tell they're they're wearing the livery of uh, the Silver Flame. They're actually emblazoned. Their uh, tunics are emblazoned with the uh, the silver arrow that is the holy symbol of the Silver Flame. So, and actually, you can see nearby now walking in full plate armor. Um. Mm, I'm going to say, yeah, you, no, you don't, you can't tell the rank, but it's definitely somebody who's in charge. Given how long I spent playing a member <laughs> of the church, <laughs> I should note this offhand. Um, the church has its own militant ordo separate mm-hmm. from the nation of Thrain uh, that is also separate from the Inquisition, correct? Yes, uh, and your average person isn't really going to know about the Inquisition. Uh, okay, but I mean, don't people know that like they purge shifters and things like that and changelings? So like that had to have come from somewhere. They 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 know that they did purge shifters like 150 years ago, and that is a shameful time in Got it. the okay. history of the church. Okay, well, as a as a student of history, there's absolutely no way that I would believe that that type of thing could continue on uh, even into the present day. Oh, of course, obviously. Not. Of course. Yeah, obviously, not. I believe in, in government reform, especially especially theocratic government reform. I am a student of history, sir. <laughs> well, as as that occurs to you, yes, this is Thrain, the place of the lycanthropic purge, where many innocent shifters were killed about 150 years ago. You look around, and you can see um, what are definitely not Thrainish villagers. In fact, um, now that you you are thinking about it, you spot a a group of five shifters, which is probably an uncommon sight, especially because they're they're geared for hunting. One of them looks a little nervous. Another seems almost angry. Uh, and one is calm in demeanor, but keeping a close eye on the man in full plate. Somewhere elsewhere on the internet, there's an actual play of an all-shifter party that's about to run this adventure. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Uh, I, I, yeah, Tez, Tez notes their presence, um, and that reminds him, like, he's, he's taking a, a survey of, of who can be seen, looking for who the competition is. So there's the shifter group, uh, are there any other obvious mercenaries or bounty hunters about? 
Uh, so in order to see, like I said, it's pretty foggy. You'll need to get out of the carriage. And in fact, the the uh, Orion uh, carriage driver is basically telling you, you need to get out because I'm leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Meepo. Skelebro. Skelebro, would you mind grabbing that uh that gear? And I like I kind of like motion to to my hand, and it's in a uh it's in like a brace, you know. It's like I, I'm still I'm still recovering from my injury. I shall also pay the driver per usual. Keep the receipt. We're getting reimbursed. Skelebro just sh- shakes his head. Um, but as usual, does what you ask. Pays the driver, pulls down. Uh, the gear packs and then the the carriage is off but now you are in the what was once the what was once the village center and you can see all about you and the man in full plate notices you and heads right over Templar Duhamel well met he looks you up and down raises an eyebrow at the kobold squints his eyes at whatever Scalabra looks up and squints his eyes at whatever Scalabra is then turns back to you because you obviously seem to be the one in charge and says you'd better be here for the bounty uh Tez stiffens a little bit stands a little bit straighter uh and says we came as soon as we could uh the, by by fastest carriage uh available so just seems to let guard, let down his guard a little bit and says good good then I'm having enough trouble keeping away the gawkers. As long as you're here to help. Although, I'm sure whatever's out there is going to kill you. Yeah, uh, trying to avoid that, uh, can, can, uh, can you maybe catch me up to speed? Uh, there's been precious little information about this whole situation other than the bounty itself. And, uh, you know, would love to get the, uh, you know, kind of, point of view is somebody whose boots on the ground you know you seem like a like a like an active go do something kind of templar to me are you insinuating there are templars who are not go do something i've never met one in half an hour there will be a briefing gather over there and he points to um uh, an area about a hundred feet off and you can see um as you like slowly head in that direction there are other milling groups about. A fair number, like, you know, humans, a bit like the archers that you see, although now you gather that they're with the Templar and they're sort of here to, like, keep the peace and make this a, a base of operations while the bounty hunters go out. So they're here to regulate the bounty hunters. I mean, essentially, right? Because, like, you you have a lot of, like, potentially powerful, rough folk in town. Got it. Um, but also, you know, there's also 5,000 crowns here somewhere. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> the next thing I was, I was curious about who was going to be paying us. You, you notice the, the regulars. Um, and then there are other, you know, small groups of, you know, three to four, mostly humans, some, you know, uh, the odd dwarf or, or half elf here and there. Most of them actually don't look up to snuff to you. I mean, 5,000 crowns is a lot. This would have attracted pretty much anybody who could get here and didn't have another job Mm -hmm. there are a few people though with your practiced eye that stand out to you and the first well the first is those five shifters Mm -hmm. and then there's you aren't sure there are four elves uh all of whom are mounted on horseback uh you don't have animal handling do you um (laughs) i do not it is perhaps, it is the thing I am worst at. <laughs> Meepo, however, who used to be a dragon keeper, looks over and says, Mmm, good horse flesh. And you are not exactly sure what he means. But you're also kind of sure what he means. They're, they're good, healthy breeding stock is what, what he's saying. They're, they're, they're fit horses. Slash potentially delicious, yes. Delicious uh-huh. horses, right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which I think the same thing. Uh, Escalabra, however, looks over and says, the Valinar here. Uh, and uh, for for my edification, the Valinar are the elves of Arenal? Uh They're an offshoot of the elves of Arenal who now live in the nation of Valinar, which seceded from Seer uh, near the end of the last war. They are 
I guess, what would you know from by reputation? Militant fighting elves uh, who often ride horseback and war bands of young elves like to um, test themselves in battle against any worthy opponent. I turn towards uh, I, I turn towards Skelebro and I ask, how do you know about that? Tyranodal have long been an important branch of our people. They put their faith in the ridiculous spirits of long-dead druids, but you believe silly things as well. I've never felt less elvish than when I hang out with you. I hope you know that. Oh, right, right. Tez is a half-elf, yeah. But since he's a Corvarian elf, his parents are probably both half-elves as well, yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And and Lazar elves, so I right, don't think right. they had any strong... Right. I, I mean, they don't have any, like, noble lineage or anything. They were literally just the most fierce sailors who carved out a spit of land, right? Right, exactly. I mean, there are definitely plenty of elves who just think of themselves as Corvarian or like Brelish or Thranish right. or whatever, right? Like who are not tied to Arenal or Valinor or anything like that. Right. Yeah, I mean, actually, that's that's an interesting point. I mean, there's probably a high likelihood that they are actually like their elven lineage is Valinor because um, they seem like pretty prone to... Uh, Taking to uh, to the high seas for some piracy, <laughs> like seems like those are the skill sets that would make a uh, a good pirate lord. We went out to fight the kraken and we never came back. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but I don't know that that is uh, culturally important to to Tez, right? Um, but yeah, so uh, all you really know about them is that they have a fierce reputation for being warriors. Okay, uh, it would make sense that they are here. Uh, three of them, you know, seem lithe and graceful and powerful uh one of them though is definitely in charge she has the tallest horse um and then interestingly for an elf she has uh bright white hair it's not unheard of but you know she's an elf you have no idea how old she is but she doesn't she doesn't look venerable age category right so her hair is definitely not white because she's old and she definitely spots you she like she makes you. Hey, I'm a rogue archaeologist. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little out of place. Uh, and then there's there are groups of cell sorts here and there, and then one other person who does not seem to be a part of a party uh, stands out to you. Um, they are wearing a very tight-fitting uh, leather vest and an odd pair of breeches and uh, a hat pulled down over their rather large head because it does look like a, a frog folk. A grung? Not a grung. Much taller than a grung. What? <laughs> what? what? <sighs> My heart is broken. Maybe maybe there's grung elsewhere. It's too cold for grung up here. Way too cold. It's <sighs> true. They're, trop- <laughs> they're, they're, they're <laughs> tropical monsters. <laughs> they're poison dart frogs. Right. Uh, this seems like a well, I mean, give me a nature check. Aha. Well, with my 19 intelligence, I can now do that. All right. Uh, and I can do it? Okay. Uh, 15 plus 4 is 19. It's good. It's good. Um, this is absolutely a bullywug uh, dressed in, like, explorer's clothes, mm, which, like, look, all it takes all different kinds to make Corvair. Bullywugs are not creatures that you typically see in polite society Mm. but this one seems to be just sort of hanging out uh are they would they be like more frequently seen in like droam uh yeah yeah potentially in in droam but also like you know the the shadow marches or kabara okay all right all right so i i I wouldn't necessarily just assume they were from droam no not necessarily uh but they seem to be the only one who's working alone do you want to approach any of them or wait for the brief? Definitely want to go talk to the Bullywug because uh, I, I'm, I'm doing some quick math. I'm seeing lots of groups of four and five. I'm seeing only one group of three and one group of one. <laughs> All right. You walk over to the Bullywug and it notices you before you make it over and then starts walking over and says, greetings, greetings. Hello. It is nice to meet another human like myself. Hmm. Ah, you're good. Ah. You're a funny one. I'm very good at human humor. <laughs> yeah, human humor. You are. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, what's your What's your name there, uh, chap? Hank. 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 It seems to like roll the word in its mouth like it's like it's a toy. Hank. <laughs> He's rolling an H. Hank. <laughs> All right. Uh, Hello, Hank. All right, Hank. The uh, human. What you doing here? I'm I'm here to find find the beast and save my fellow humans. I am a hunter. Uh where 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 are you coming in from? Uh Flame Keep. Oh. It, which is where I was born. Uh do I believe that for a second? <laughs> no, 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 you don't. No, not okay. at all. It is where my human families are from when I was just a human tadpole. I swam the streets of Flamekeep, and now I'm here to help. Uh, Hank, look, I, um, I don't know how to say this, but, like, this isn't working for you, this whole thing. Uh, I thought you were joking, you know, like, us humans, because, like, you know, you're a bullywug, and uh, I, I'm a half elf, and uh, you know my my companions here are, are also obviously uh, not human. I thought that was like a joke, and then like you know this flame key thing. But like now, I'm starting to think you're maybe serious, and I gotta know what's going on. Uh, are, are you all there? Are you okay? Are you just here for the bounty? Are you trying to throw me off my game? Because like I'm a rogue archaeologist, I don't have time to unpack this. But you're weirding me out, man. A giant sticky tongue comes out of Hank's mouth and slaps across one of his eyeballs. He licks it clean, and then the nictating membranes flick for a minute, and Hank says, What's a bullywug? I I got a thing. Uh, I got to catch up uh, with with someone else. Uh, I will, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see you after the briefing. Yes, we are friends now. Uh, perfect. Uh, and I offer him a, like, half-hearted, like... I'm going to shake his hand, and then I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here, and I just walk away. Please do not die. Uh, same to you, Hank. Uh, I think given how poorly that has gone, I'm going to go talk to somebody who is clearly confident. I am going to track down the white-haired elf. Uh, she's easy to find. Uh, you've noticed the, the elves have not gotten off their horses. <laughs> <laughs> As she sees you come over, and you know, actually no one else has come over. Um, as she sees you come over, she turns her horse to face you. Not in, she's imposing, but not menacing. <laughs> and as you approach, she very ever so slightly inclines her head to you and says, Well met, Hunter. Do we have competition? Uh, I'm no hunter. I am, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a rogue archaeologist from, uh, from the university. She cocks her head. The university? Uh, yeah, Morgrave University. Rogue archaeologist. Uh, Tez Proudgill, nice to meet you. She looks confused for a second and says, The college? <sighs> this again. Uh, no, it's a university. It confers multiple doctorates. Sort of shakes, shakes your head a, a, a little bit and says, I do not understand the ways of you soft outsiders, but I assure you, my warband is the one that shall kill the beast. Uh, yeah, about that. Uh, you're Valinar, yeah? Tynardal. That's the elven word for it? Yeah. Wow, that is a faux pas for a half-elf, huh? Mm. <laughs> uh, Tez says, wow, that's a faux pas for a half-elf, <laughs> huh? I am so sorry. Uh, my uh, uh, my companion here just said that word out loud, and I completely did not notice. I'm so sorry. Anyway, yes, Tiernadal, uh, uh, great to meet you. Great to meet you. This actually gets like a tiny smile out of her. She says, it is, it is good to admit mistakes, to learn from them. Most never get a second chance. They just die. I am really trying hard not to let that happen to me. I'm not going to lie. I'm just an archaeologist. I'm usually trying to unearth things that are already long dead. Uh, and usually they're valuables. Um, but I got dispatched up here to sort this whole situation out. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I am happy to let you go first. Archaeologists, I think you'll find there are plenty of dead bones for you to pick over here. Uh, well, that's, yeah, that's not really my idea. I'm kind of more looking for the valuables, but like, yeah, something's up. What do you know? What's going on? You've been here longer than we have. What's, uh, what, what, what do you read here? 
and I'm trying to give the impression that we are not we're not really competition, right? Like right. we're, we're uh -huh. too incompetent and and unfocused on the task at hand. Like we're fodder for whatever the the monster is. I mean, you are sure that she does not see you as like competent competition at this point. Good. <laughs> uh, so she says, "You are the last to arrive, and yet already you seek an advantage from." those you would best oh uh well if you're often offering to give me an advantage i'll happily take it uh i was kind of just making small talk uh and you know maybe you could just kind of catch me up on what we're gonna hear in the briefing she narrows her eyes at you like she's trying to figure you out and then she says they say the beast is a dragon what say you tez makes the same smirk that the half-orc made uh, as he fell out of the uh, out of the tower a few nights ago uh, and makes a very similar smirk to what's on that rod and uh, and he says well I wouldn't be here if it wasn't potentially a dragon I told you I'm a rogue archaeologist she stares at you for a long moment and says yes that does seem to be the case for many here. We shall see. Uh, and then she looks up uh, at the Templar, who now seems to be gathering people, and says, in fact, I believe we shall see now. Uh, and then without another look at you, she canters her horse off, and the others follow uh, over to the briefing. I turn, I turn to Skelebro and to Meepo and say, well, that went well. I think she's going to kill you. I don't think she's going to waste her time. <laughs> if you're lucky, Meepo can get her attention for Tez. For what? To kill you. Oh. Uh, no, that's okay. I'd like to keep, uh... I'd like to keep my head attached to my body, Meepo. That's sort of more my style. Okay, anytime. He looks uh, looks up looks up at Skelebro and says, "Dying is not so bad, no." Uh, Meepo, there's no Tez to bring me back to life. And also, shh, it's kind of like frowned upon around here. Just relax. Meepo like jumps, like he just remembered. Oh right, it's a big secret, and like does the thing he's done before, where he clamps his claws over his snout to keep it shut for for a moment, and then like nods vigorously. Ah, you're too. Uh... It's amazing how fast you became city folk. All right, you head over, and you can see everyone uh, Everyone has gathered. Duhamel is an imperious sort. Um, he seems quite confident in, in his abilities, and he basically makes that known, saying, you're bounty hunters, you're, you're here for the 5,000 crowns, but I'll, I'll have it known that my regulars will route the beast and kill it before any of you are able to locate it. Still, the Keeper has determined that we should have as many people on this as possible to have the threat ended, so I shall share, you, share with you what information we have. Uh, and he basically gives the information that was in your dossier, uh, not the connections that you made, just the, sort of like the raw information. Um, and initially there isn't anything new, right? The attack started several months ago. It was only recently that they sort of pieced together that it seems to be the same thing. They've been increasing in frequency and more and more centered around this particular village, Vermilion. And you notice, you think probably others notice, like, they're plotted on a map. Even from the very beginning, the attacks were centered on this village. Even when they were much more wide-ranging. Right. Uh, does he give any indication as to why this is such a priority? Do you ask that, or do you know? Do you want to know if he like brings it up himself? Uh, I want to know if he brings it up himself. Nothing other than you know, the the church is here to fight evil and save the lives of its of its adherents. He he does the whole like you know where wherever evil lies, the the silver flame shall seek it out. Right. Uh, and actually, you can see when he gets sort of like fiery about this, the shifters get nervous. Uh, okay, so I think uh, I think Tez took up a spot, sort of uh, casually leaning against like a fence post, sort of in the back, you know, um, 
and and when when Duomo kind of gets gets to that part of the speech, they'll just kind of pipe up from the back, uh, probably behind the horses even, and is like, uh, maybe this is a silly question, but why is the bounty so high? Why is this such a priority for the keeper? Uh, especially given you're more than capable with your regulars. You sort of get his hackles up when you ask the question at first, but as you continue and say, you know, he's more than capable, he settles down a bit. He sniffs and says, you're right, we are more than capable. But the keeper has taken this, these incidents under her wing. She wants it taken care of, and she wants it taken care of immediately. Why is at her discretion, and of course I would never question our keeper. Would you? Oh, certainly not. And I kind of under my breath turn to Meepo and I'm like, I'm really charging a expedience premium in the gig economy. <laughs> um, and do you have, are you trained in religion? I am just smart. Just smart, all right. Um, you, I mean, you know, like, the sovereign host you're a member of the sovereign host, whatever you're you're an adherent of the sovereign host right you worship mm-hmm. aladra um sometimes uh, when it's when it's helpful right you also know the the silver flame is the second largest uh religion on uh the continent jayla darren is the keeper of the flame essentially the pope she's 11 years old among common people all across the the entire continent highly regarded as like a good kind wise person Gotcha. Who like oversaw um, Thrain's signing of the Treaty of Thronehold that ended a hundred years of war when she was nine? It doesn't seem out of bounds for her to sort of be compassionate about something that's happening here. It does certainly still strike you as like maybe overkill. It wouldn't have cost five thousand gold to get these people here. Uh, does anybody else ask any questions? Like. I guess, what are the other... What is the competition interested in knowing? Like, I, I know, like, I've already kind of gathered all this information on my own, so I'm not learning anything new, but I am curious, like, what does the competition think is important? So they're asking pretty much the same questions that you're asking, Erky. Um, and some of them are outright asking the questions that you sort of piece together on your own. What do the attacks look like? What do, what do eyewitnesses say? Most of them were attacked in the fog it was hard to see anything at the time of the attacks they tell disparate stories uh, and if you put them all together there's no single creature that fits the bill right with everything um so that's interesting most of them were attacked in the fog you say or or you know they say i couldn't see anything in one question it's like oh right it was it was foggy that night it's not usually foggy so i will stay and politely listen and then before anybody else is kind of breaking the group uh i will uh, tez and co will slink off uh to the inn all right you slowly head to the back of the group and then begin to break off but just as you're about to there's a voice that comes, seems to come from the air behind Templar Duhamel. A woman's voice speaking in, in common, and you can tell it's the short clipped tones of a soldier. It's suddenly gotten foggy. I don't know, I don't know what happened. It was, it was broad daylight just a minute ago. I can't, I can't see anything. I've lost the rest of the squad. Duhamel pauses and you can he pulls a small stone uh, out of a pouch uh, and you can tell it's a sending stone um, he's obviously in communication with one of his troops somewhere Adara, Adara, report what's the situation? what's happening? report, report and he's sort of like turning to the side, so it's not like happening in front of everybody, but you can tell that like he's mostly forgotten about the audience. Uh, and he's just trying to figure out what, what's happening. And then suddenly you hear what can best be described as a, a screech and a, 
and a wail kind of all combined together and and a and a roar. Where are you? Where are you? This is the woman's voice again. Come at me, I'll kill you myself. The woman's voice again screams, but this time it's in pain. And then you hear nothing. Uh, and again, it's Duhamel yelling into a standing stone. And you realize the beast has struck again. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. But now, Ishin, it's time to talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPT Cast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, all right, Ishan, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are continuing our playthrough of A Deep and Creeping Darkness from Candlekeep Mysteries. Well, that's it for episode 301 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>